Alrighty. So I didn't really, I didn't really like nonfiction until I got to graduate school, specifically because I did not find it worth it. I was only given nonfiction, and I want to know if this is just me here. I mean, if you're watching the replay, just tell me in the comments when I answer, when I ask a question that you might like to answer. But specifically for you all, with me live, how many people here were only given nonfiction as homework? growing up like you were in school you were in history class you were reading scientific uh factoids and having to, to regurgitate them you were given nonfiction in autobiographies or biographies in english courses in high school and was it fun like were you only given was nonfiction only given to you as homework that's what i'm asking is that the case yes question mark is that the case yeah, only a couple of fiction books. I really only had nonfiction as homework, and that sucked. Like I didn't really, care. I didn't give a fuck <laughs> um, about about nonfiction because it wasn't fun. It wasn't engaging. There was no fun story there. There wasn't like I didn't like. It just felt like brute force learning. It felt like someone was prying open my mind and camming it full of crack, crack. Whoops cramming it full of facts that I didn't necessarily want to know or care about. Why am I reading about dinosaurs? Because my teacher told me to. Oh. What a great way to foster a loving, long-term relationship with reading, right? So I didn't really like nonfiction until, as in like, I enjoy it. I read it for fun. I didn't like nonfiction until graduate school because graduate school, I began grad school at 22, which is young now that I think about it in post. <laughs> um, I began graduate school and really began to understand the, the, the human tapestry, like the fact that when I am reading someone's story, a community stories, when I'm learning about something that feels like it's just like a seed of knowledge, it's actually embedded into this long tapestry that connects us all. When I begin to understand humanity itself, the Anthropocene is in the human sovereign world as a story in and of itself, that's when I really began to fuck with it. Like that's when I really began to fuck with nonfiction. So Tony K. Bambara, I know that we just said that we didn't know her, um, which breaks my heart because Tony K. Bambara and Tony Morrison are peers. For the amount of people who in this who here knows Toni Morrison, can you give me a like? Give me a like, say yes in the chat, so that I can get a, a good semblance of what's going on. Do we know Toni Morrison? Yes. Yes. Nothing but yes. Nine stream with likes. Yeah, we know who Toni Morrison is. Oh, absolutely. Maybe one no. Love Toni Morrison. Who is Toni Morrison? For the people that are saying no, and thank you for saying no, because I don't want to assume that everybody knows. If someone doesn't, who is Toni Morrison? Who's Toni Morrison? Let me know. Who was she? What'd she write? What'd she do? Why are we interested in her? What's going on? She's a writer. Give me more than that. Is every writer someone that goes down in history? No. So like, why do we know about her? Even though she's like long dead, not long dead and gone. She died in 2019. She's an author. She's an author. She's an activist, a black woman. Come on, keep going. Keep going. Oh, someone's reading The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison in class. Why was The Bluest Eye groundbreaking? Why was The Bluest Eye one of her favorite, most most famous novels? What's going on about The Bluest Eye? We've heard of it, why? Why? I don't write for white people. That was rather groundbreaking. I mean, it's groundbreaking now, but especially at the time that she said it, right? This is like the 1980s or 90s. 
she's being asked in interviews like why don't you write for white people and she's like why would you even fucking ask me that do you know how do you hear how you sound you know how profoundly racist that question is that's what she said i don't think you have a grasp of just how profoundly racist that question is that is some groundbreaking shit Right, it's centered around the black perspective. She wrote of the black experience, not the black experiences, if there's like a like a one canon black experience, a very particular kind of black experience where black people were feeling the weight of slavery and the decisions that they came to because of it in terms of hating themselves, never being able to find themselves beautiful. That's what the bluest eye is about, right? Um, or in uh, Sula, black experiences that are about engaging with womanhood and the ways that you can put womanhood on and off like a costume, what is expected of what, is, what, what good and, and be bad or deviant women are. Lots of magical realism in that book. Um, Beloved by Toni Morrison, in which we're dealing with infanticide because you're, you're, you're working under slavery. That's a very particular kind of black, it's not the, there's not one broad stroke black experience. She's working about very particular things, right? I'm waiting for someone to uh, name the biggest accolade of her early career. Toni Morrison started out as an editor um, and then was able to get the Nobel Prize. She was the first black woman to get the Nobel Prize for her work in The Bluest Eye, which was her debut novel. Okay, so Toni Morrison, giant. So the fact that we don't know, that we don't know about Toni Cade Mambara breaks my heart because Toni Cade Bambara and Toni Morrison were peers. Or even if they weren't, it, it, depending on how you define peership, right? Whatever. But they, they were friends. They ran together. They knew each other. They were probably going to lunch. Toni Morrison was Toni Cade Bambara's editor. Toni Morrison was Toni Cade Bambara's editor. So it makes me so sad that we don't know about her. This woman is one of my favorites in, in terms of my academic pantheon. She's someone I return to all the time. When I am fed up with y'all, when I am fed up with being on the internet and going around in the same circles and, and feeling like I'm throwing my brain at a brick wall, right? Tony K. Bambara, someone who constantly talks me off the ledge, reminds me about the, the, the beauty and the brilliance in writing and in writing for the general public and in writing small experiences, especially about the black experience. Tony K. Bambara is an activist, as in like an on the ground community organizer. She's a multi-talented filmmaker um, and she died of colon cancer in uh, 1995 in December. She was raised in New York. Yes, the salt eaters, come on. Exactly, exactly. She was incredible and she was an incredible ethnographer. She's an incredible cultural ethnographer, which is very important to me as someone who wants to write about an experience of people without just kind of copying someone's life and pasting it on the page. She calls that being an emotional gangster like going around with your pen in your back pocket, writing down the, the, the life experiences of your loved ones and your family members so that they can see themselves on your book pages. She's like, absolutely not. That is so, that like, she, she calls it like, you're a, a literary thug, just like plucking people from their real lives and pasting them unceremoniously onto a paper. She was able to write short form and long form stories, short stories and novels that were so close to black experience, just regular everyday black experience that it would lift off the page, you could feel it on your skin, or you could taste it in your mouth. Beautiful stories, a, a wealth of stories. One of my favorite ones is A Tender Man um, out of The Seabirds Are Still Alive, which is also a really great uh, short story about the uh, post-Vietnam. I just like, she's fucking amazing, right? Um, she's, a, she's a canon black feminist, Tony Cade Bambara. In fact, everybody go ahead and type this out in the chat. Ready? 
Tony Cade Bambara. I'm certain that we can spell it from here. Everybody, type it out in the chat. Yes, this is the woman who wrote Gorilla My Love. Exactly, exactly, Rodney. Tony Cade Bambara. Write it out so that when you walk away from this live and there's no longer, you know, a pretty waist and, and shiny jewelry um, coming at you to make sure I can garner your Remember it. Good, okay? Tony Cade Bambara. Yes, B-A-M-B-A-R-A. -A -A, Bambara, not O. A. Bambara. Good, 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 good. Okay. I fucking love this lady. And when I say she was an on the ground organizer, she was an on the ground organizer. And she was an organizer to the day she died. She really engaged with literary, um, with, with struggle, not just in a literary way. Not that I think that engaging in, uh, in engaging with liberatory practice in a literary format is like lesser than or bad. It's just that She's rare in that she was a writer kind of out of her back pocket. The first thing that she describes herself is not a writer or a teacher. It's a, a mother and a student and a community member and a neighbor. She was a writer for her neighborhood. You know, when she told people she was a writer, they'd be like, can you help me write this thing? Yeah, of course. Can you help me write that thing? Yeah, of course. She was very embedded in her community. Writing was something that she did to like keep track of herself. And in fact, um, there's this particular passage that I want to read from an interview that she did with Claudia Tate in 1983. So now I'm going to begin reading and analyzing text. When people pop in this chat and say, what are we doing? I don't know what's going on. Please don't expect me to stop. Help your comrades. Make sure make sure that they know what's going on. Tell them who Tony K. Bambara is, who is a what? Now that we've talked about her. Yes. <laughs> Come on, Critical Gracery. Up on your jazz. Yes. Who's Tony K. Bambara? Now that we've gotten a, a, a tasting, repeat back to me what you have learned to make sure that you can help your comrades and i want to know more than just like one word descriptors let me know what time period was she from what was she involved with what like about the time period that we know about what would she have been involved with by telling you she was a community organizer tell me come on she's a community organizer mother writer give me more than that come on this woman lived until 1995, okay? She was a particularly active writer in the 70s. Her early literate, yeah, the Black Panther era. What else was going on during the Black, what, what were the Black Panthers existing of and responding to? Like, what was going on? What was she a writer in, in context of, right? Few, food, mucho keep going. Who was Tony K. Bambara? What did she do? She was a friend of Toni Morrison. She was an on-the-ground communicator, organizer, civil rights activist during the civil rights movement, right? Black oppression is as long as colonization. We gotta be more specific than that. Writer of everyday black experiences. That's a very good picture, thank you. Thank you. What else? She was more than a teacher, but a mentor and friend to students and members of the community. Okay, active in the 1970s, right? So when, when, can someone name one thing that she's written? A beautiful ethnographer, thank you, Rain. A cultural ethnographer, a studying ethnographer, okay? So when you describe Tony K. Bambara, I'm gonna need more than just writer. I'm gonna need more than just author. That doesn't enough, that doesn't do enough, right? And don't just tell me she coined the term, that's very good, Jenna. 
don't tell me she coined the term emotional gangster. Tell people what that means, because people won't know what that means. She wrote Gorilla My Love. She wrote The Salt Eater. Beautiful. Beautiful. She was a trained mime. Why did I not know that? She was also a filmmaker because she found writing to be really isolating and solitary. And that really drove her nuts. And I'm coming to the same point because the amount of times I spent alone writing in a screen or alone writing in my notebooks. Alrighty. So when people come and ask, what are we doing? What's going on? Who are we talking about? Tell them and tell them in earnest. You need to be able to remember these things when you walk away from these places, okay? I'm gonna read a bit from an interview conducted by Claudia Tate. This is in 1983, okay? Um, so at this point, Bambara has already released lots of uh, seminal texts of hers. She's released, let's see, The Black Woman, um, which is 1970. That's a feminist anthology that was just like fucking groundbreaking at the point in time, fucking groundbreaking. Um, by this interview, she has also released Gorilla My Love, which is a collection of short stories, all assembling around the black, particularly around the experiences. I love it when children are protagonists. I love that shit. She's gotten her master's degree. She's teaching at City College, okay? Um, and I believe she has also published, yes, she's published The Seabirds Are Still Alive, which is another collection of short stories. Lots, um, many of them focus on Vietnam as a war specifically or in the effects of Vietnam and the characters that continue on their lives. Um, and she was invited to Vietnam as a guest of the Women's Union in 1975. So when we say that she was in community, which we say that she was organizing and engaged in international feminist struggle and struggles for liberation, we mean that shit, okay? She's able to write about these things because she's living these things. And she's able to write about it at a respectful distance. You know, that doesn't copy paste people onto the page. That's that emotional gangster thing. That's where we are. It's 1983. We're sitting down with Tony Cade Mambara. Veritable legend by the time we're sitting down with her, okay? The question is, I'm gonna stop after every paragraph, okay? So we can discuss it. The question is, what determines your responsibility to yourself and your audience? And Bambara says, I start with the recognition that we are at war. I actually want everybody to type out that sentence right now because that's a maxim that I repeat in my mind all the time. I start with the recognition that we are at war. Type it out. I start with the recognition that we are at war. What, it, what determines your responsibility to yourself and to your audience? I start with the recognition that we are at war. This is 1983, okay? So we're not at active war. There's not boots on the ground in the United States. There's not boots on the ground in the United States and everywhere else, although they constantly engage in proxy wars and wars by economics. We are at war um, as in, actually, I don't wanna give you the answer. What could that mean? It's 1983 in the United States. So there's not an active war going on. So what could she mean by that? I start with the recognition that we are at war when asked what determines your responsibility to yourself and your audience. What could that mean? Reagan? That's a good answer. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. <laughs> what else? What could that mean? Violent force submission. Word. War on drugs. Yes. We, we in, as in black people. That's a very good point. We is not everybody. Not everybody's at war in this country, right? So war on drugs. The killings of black political readers. Reagan and his fuck shit. Word. Okay. War in the sense of struggle for the people. Word. War against our communities. Yes. 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 The AIDS crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yes, honey. <laughs> I believe, 1983, had the AIDS crisis really, really hitched off by then? 
Maybe I'm wrong. I'd have to look that up. War on mental slavery. The counter-revolution. Three trade. Yeah, mass deaths. When did the AIDS crisis start? Why don't I know this off the top of my head? Although she would have known about it, even if it was... Let's see. Late 1970s, early 1980s. Word. Yes, AIDS epidemic. So officially, this, you know, the CDC started in 1981. So yeah, AIDS crisis in Reagan, early 80s, word, word, word. And she was very involved in the LGBT community, especially with like the amount of black feminists that were lesbians themselves or bendy in general. War against Cold War political, yeah, yes, yes, word, good. I start with the recognition that we are at war. There were many right answers and there are many right answers to this. I would argue today we are still at war, but I'm gonna keep going, okay? I start with the recognition that we are at war and that war is not simply a hot debate between the capitalist camp and the socialist camp on which economic, political, social arrangement will have hegemony in the world. It's not just the battle over turf and who has the right to utilize resources for whomever's benefit. The war is also being fought over the truth. The war is fought over the truth. What is the truth about human nature, about the human potential? My responsibility to myself, my neighbors, my family, and the human family is to try to tell the truth. And that ain't easy. There are so few truth-speaking traditions in this society in which the myth of Western civilization has claimed the allegiance of so many. We have rarely been encouraged and equipped to appreciate the fact that the truth works, that the truth works, that it releases the spirit and that it is a joyous thing. We live in a part of the world, for example, that equates criticism with assault, that equates social responsibility for naive idealism, that defines the unrelenting pursuit of knowledge and wisdom as fanaticism. That's paragraph one. That's paragraph one. This is 1983, I'm gonna stop there. Because there are so many bits that I want to get into. The recognition that we are at war. We define who we is, right? Okay? And that war is not just a debate. War is not a debate between the arrangement that has hegemony, that rules over the world. It's not just a battle over turf and who has the right to use whoever resources for whose benefit, right? It's not just rhetorical, it's not just political, it's not just any of things. The war is also being fought over the condition of truth itself. So what does that tell us? In addition to the proxy wars, the economic wars, the political wars, the wars waged by uh, policy making and intentional negligence, such as the AIDS disease, such as poverty existing in the first place. We also know that COINTELPRO is going on at this point in time. Now the public don't know that necessarily for sure, but the people that are living it can absolutely tell you that it was going on right then before the CIA unclassified those documents. They fucking know. The war is also on, boom, it's your girl now, propaganda. The war is also being brought over what is the truth about human nature and about human potential. We already talked about what book this is. Answer your comrades. Don't leave them hanging. The war is also being thought about the truth, right? What truth is human nature about the human potential? My responsibility to myself, my neighbors, my family, and the human family is to try to tell the truth and that is not easy. That ain't easy. There are so few true speaking traditions in this society in which the myth 
of Western civilization has claimed the allegiance of so many, as in this purported truth, these things that we have been told are true, that are actually directly harmful to us. There's a war there in that too. There is a war going on in just trying to realize what is true for us, we who are not benefiting from the wars that happen above our heads. Where are the casualties? Where are the bodies being dropped on the in-between? I can't pin anything in the chat because it's not gonna stay longer than one minute. So I'm gonna stop and answer this question one more time, exactly one more time, okay? And then everybody's going to remember it so that we can answer our comrades so that I don't have to stop. Conversations with Tony Cade Bambara, okay? All right? Coolio, answer your comrades. Put it in the chat. Write it out for yourself so that you can remember it well because I'm not going to stop again. We have rarely been encouraged and equipped. This is just the first paragraph, okay? We have rarely been encouraged and equipped to appreciate that the fact that the truth works. Now there's multiple definitions of work here, right? That the truth works as in it's effective, but that the truth works as in it is laboring. The truth is actively laboring, that it releases the spirit. And that's a capital S, that it releases the spirit and that it is a joyous thing. We live in a part of the world, this is United States specific, that for example, equates criticism with assault. Now I just said in an essay that I just published and also in a video that should be circulating right now, hopefully, thank you for all your likes to help me circulate those videos because TikTok hates a bitch ever since I started political education, okay? I just said in a video that I really love critique and that I feel trapped in an academic zoo because the critique that I get online is abysmal. It is poorly thought out. And there are lots of interviews in here where um, Bambara is giving the critique her peers well, what they do poorly, what they could have done better. And her critique is well rooted. It is well researched. It is rooted in the times, the circumstance, the necessities of the text. It's rooted in who those authors are and what they try to represent or the, or the, uh, the boundaries that were put in place for them writing at all. Critique is a loving process. And it's one that requires a lot of research on your side to know who you're critiquing in the first place. So the fact that I get critiques over and over again that are lackluster, fucking lackluster that are baseless, that have nothing to, that, that, that very clearly show that you have never engaged with my work, that you saw half of one video and wanted to sound smart. It's exhausting for me because it means that I can't get better. Gracious to put it in the chat, iron sharpens iron. I can't be sharpened if you're made of fucking plastic. Like get yourself, get yourself some better critique. Get the bones, the brass, the teeth to be able to chew on me well so that I can get better because I'm exhausted. Alrighty, we live in a world that, for example, equates crit criticism with assault, that equates social responsibility with naive idealism, that it is naively idealistic to believe that you were responsible to the people around you. That defines unrelenting pursuit of knowledge and wisdom as fanaticism, that you are literally some sort of deranged for wanting to read. You know the most annoying question I get all the time? Why do you read so much? Why do you write so much? I'm going to gag myself with a spoon. When I'm on my phone in public, no one asks me why I'm on my phone. What, God forbid I pull out a book in public. I just, my God. 
and to your comrades. I do not think, so that's the first paragraph. That's, that's how much we got from just one paragraph. And we got one, two, three, four, five. Well, well, well bodied paragraphs in this one uh, question. What determines your responsibility to yourself and to your audience? So our first questions, our first, our first set of answers are, uh, I have to tell the truth. And people don't like telling the truth in this society. And it's hard to tell the truth in this society because what is true is constantly morphing for the good of the empire in charge and not good for the people who are living in these purported truths. Are we tracking? Does this make sense? We Gucci thus far? Like the live or say it's 260 people in here. So if someone has a question, ask me because I'll, I'll do my best to answer it. Yes? following beautiful alrighty are you ready I do not think that literature is the primary instrument for social transformation but I do think it has its potency this is paragraph two that's a topic sentence of oh, I mean I'm gonna say topic sentence loosely because this is just her orating. This is what Tony K. Bambara sounds like when she's orating. These are recorded interviews. I aspire. I do not think that literature is the primary instrument for social transformation, but I do think it has its potency. What does potency mean? That's a great question, baby, with a little face. What does potency mean? Power. Keep going. Power, strength, keep going, keep going. What context do we usually use potency and in? intensity? Good, power, strength, intensity, strong effect. Potency means it packs a punch. That's a very good way to say it, Eddie. Yes, concentration, it means highly effective. Good, relevance, yeah, yeah. What, it, yeah, medicine. So if I were to say, yeah, good, 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 concentrate it. We say things like, ooh, that lemon is potent in this smoothie. You know what I'm saying? It's usually, it's not just power, it's not just effectiveness, it's effectiveness in a cocktail of other things. Make sense? Does that make sense? So I think literature is the prime, I don't think it's the primary instrument, meaning first, it's potency, as in in the cocktail of instruments that we have towards liberation, that one do be back in a punch. She, she'll be, oh, there she is, damn. There that is, literacy, yes? Okay, so I work to tell the truth about people's lives. I work to celebrate struggle, to applaud the tradition of struggle in all our communities, to bring to center stage all those characters, just ordinary folks on the block who have been waiting in the wings. Characters, excuse me, characters we thought we had to ignore because they weren't pimp flashy or hustler slick or because they didn't fit into previously acceptable modes or stock types. I want to lift up some usable truths. I want to lift up some usable truths, like the fact that the simple act of corn growing one's hair is radical in a society that defines beauty as blonde tresses blowing in the wind, that staying centered in the best of one's own cultural tradition is hip, is sane, is perfectly fine, despite all the claims to universality through Anglo-Saxonizing and other madnesses. Okay, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
That's paragraph two. And again, we got a lot to unpack. Remember, the question that Bambara is answering is, what determines your responsibility to yourself and to your audience? She already said, what? What was the topic sentence? What was the first sentence of that first? I made you write it down. What was the first sentence of that first paragraph? What was it? Somebody tell me. Someone better tell me. Y'all wrote it down. Come on. I start with the recognition that we are at war. Yes. I start with the recognition that we are at war. I start with the recognition that we are at war. It's something I repeat in my head. I remember, the, you know how, I don't know if y'all grew up religious, right? I grew up, um, I was raised by my mama, so I was raised in the Christian church. And they encourage us to memorize scripture word for word, bar for bar, and memorize it. And when I realized that you don't only have to do that with religious texts, that you can memorize anything that you find helpful. That's when I memorize beat for beat, bar for bar. I, wa I walk around and I think about it. I look at homeless people in New York sleeping face to pavement and I think about it. I look at ooh, the most internally displaced people in the world being children in Sudan right now and I think about it everywhere. I start with the fact, I start with the recognition that we are at war in the little ways and in big ways, in the ways that I see it every day, that I'm prone to ignore everywhere. I start with the recognition that we are at war. And then the second thing, uh, literacy packs a punch. I work to tell the truth about people's lives, right? That first, that first paragraph talks about truth telling and the necessity of it and how not easy it is, not just because the war is violent, not just because the war is political, not just because the war is over turf and land and labor, all things are true. The war is literally over what is the truth itself. So then we see that in the second paragraph, I work to tell the truth about people's lives. I work to tell the truth about people's struggles, to applaud the tradition of struggle in our community, to bring center stage all those characters, not just ordinary folks on the block, right? Not just, not just the people that have clean archetypes, but the ones that are waiting in the wings. She says something beautiful here. I want to lift up some usable truths. I want to lift up some usable truths. What could she mean? What could she mean by usable truths? What could she mean by usable truths? What does that mean? What is a truth that might be usable to people that are constantly under war. Stuff you can put into practice, word. Truth that frees the mind, word. Truths that will benefit you, yeah. Something you can, actionable, something that you can apply to your life, forms of resistance. Right, the truth of our agency, ooh, truth that, yeah. Truth that is powerful, that leads, that leads to our agency. Truth from history. Ooh, it reminds me of COVID precautions that masking is knowledge and action, period. Yes, yes. I wish I had a mask in reaching distance, but I do be staying masked. Yeah, yes. Truth that's in community, I love it. Usable truths, truth of everyone's divinity, truth of our value. I love those two answers in particular because she's talking about upholding and uplifting stories that aren't marketable, right? These character archetypes that we have, that we see over and over again, especially in, right, we're in 1983. This woman has been writing for the last decade and she's from New York. She raised in New York, okay? So 
the the acceptable modes or the stock types that she's talking about are real like she says hustler slick real gangster real pimp flashy and she's like you know and some of us are children some of us are singers some of us are the organizer's wife some of us are vietnam vets some of us are there are so many kinds traditions lenses manipulations tastes flavors of blackness that i want to write about usable truths like the simple act of cornrowing one's hair is radical in a society that defines beauty as blonde tresses blowing in the wind simple like staying centered in the best of one's own cultural tradition is hip are you ready for this is sane a self defined version of sane is perfectly defined despite all the claims to universality through anglo-saxonizing and other madnesses stunning fucking stunning and it's perfectly fine despite all claims to universality through anglo-saxonizing and other madnesses i love this lady you see why i returned to her you see how warm you see this Worn, okay. Marked the fuck up. I love this lady. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Can I repeat the last line? For sure. Um, she says, like the simple. It's it's a kind of a long sentence. Like the simple act of cornrowing one's hair is radical in a society that defines beauty as blonde tresses blowing in the wind. That staying centered in the best of one's own cultural tradition is hip, is sane, is perfectly fine. Despite all claims to universality through Anglo-Saxonizing and other masses. Anglo-Saxonizing being a verb. Are we tracking? Yes? Tell me I should like the line. We got it? Is it making sense? Mm-hmm. 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 Tell your comrades the book title. Coolio, I'm gonna keep going. Anglo-Saxonizing, right? Colonization, forced assimilation. Right, 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 right. Alrighty. I'm gonna head on to paragraph three. Tell your comrades the title of this book. People been asking. It would be dishonest then, this is paragraph three, to what determines your responsibility to yourself and to your audience. We're at war. We need to be truth telling. Truth telling can be radical, okay? It would be then, ready? It would be then dishonest though, to end my comments there, first and foremost, first and foremost, I write for myself. Writing has been for a long time my major tool for self-instruction and self-development. I try to stay honest through pencil and paper. I run off at the mouth a lot. I have a penchant for flamboyant performance. I exaggerate to the point of hysteria. I cannot always be trusted with my mouth open, but when I sit down with notebooks, I am absolutely serious about what I see, sense, know. 
I write for the same reasons I keep track of my dreams, for the same reason I meditate and practice being still, to stay in touch with me and not let too much slip by me. We're about building a nation. The inner nation needs building too. I would be writing whether there were a publishing industry or not, whether there were presses or not, whether there were markets or not. That's paragraph three. So we talked about what determines your responsibility to yourself and your audience? I start with the recognition that we are at war. The truth is hard to tell. The human family is to try to tell the truth. That ain't easy, right? Second paragraph. While I don't think literary is the primary instrument for social transformation, it packs a punch. I do have some potency. I want to lift up usable truths, right? That staying hip to your own tradition is perfectly fine and perfectly sane in a world that wants you to Anglo-Saxonize, to whitenize yourself. Remember, this is 1983. The Negro is not yet in vogue. Uh, Beth Ann Hardingson is one of the first black supermodels walking the runways, okay? Um, it's This is not a time in which white girls are getting box braids uh, and, and crying about how it's perfectly fine. This is a time in which what is beautiful uniquely and exclusively white so then here three it's dishonest to end her comments there about what she her responsibilities to herself and her audience she says it is dishonest to end my comments there first and foremost i write for myself first and foremost i write for myself it's been a long time tool of self-instruction of self development. I would add self-discipline in there for me personally. She stays honest through pencil and paper. And this, this in particular, it's something I relate with a lot. She says, I'm a penchant for flamboyant performance. I exaggerate to the point of hysteria. I can't always be trusted with my mouth open. I just be talking. Sometimes I talk myself off a cliff. However, but and when I sit down with my notebooks, I am absolutely serious about what I see, sense, and know. When I sit down with my notebooks, I am absolutely serious in what I see, what I sense, and what I know. I write for the same reasons I keep track of my dreams, for the same reasons I meditate and practice being still, to stay in touch with myself, to not let too much slip by me. And then here's another maxim. Here's another maxim. I want you to write it down because this is one I repeat to myself too. We're about building a nation, semicolon. The inner nation needs building too. We're about building a nation. The inner nation needs building too. We're about building a nation. The inner nation needs building too. The People's Oracle, Dana Lynn Knuckles, has lately been saying uh, revolution starts in the body. I think that's another way to say that. We're about building a nation. The inner nation needs building to remember that she said this in response to the question Ooh, what was that question what determines your responsibility to yourself and your artist um to yourself and your audience what determines your responsibility to yourself and to your audience inner nation building i have a responsibility to my audience to build my inner nation because we we who are at war we we are about building a nation. So the inner nation needs to be building too. That's a great question. Uh, what the fuck? I'm D-O-Y, doy. What's the inner nation? What could she be talking about? What's going on there? What are our ideas? What is the inner nation? 
self, inner sovereignty, the body, right? Our mind, the inner you, the reclamation of the self. Revolution happens in the body, knowledge, compassion, self-understanding. Inner nation is in self and consciousness, your, in, your inner community, your agency, your self-authority, the temple of the Holy Spiritual, as in you. I like this. Many right answers. The ego, the integrated mind, soul, body, being, being embodied, your inner child, your inner pantheon of people, your spirit, your close community, the process of learning, relearning, unlearning, individuality and community. I always say that I'm an amalgamation of people that built me. Yeah, yes, the collective self. That's a very good way to put it, Mina. The collective self, okay? There are many right answers. And we're not gonna state all those right answers here. And I suspect what Tony K. Bambara's inner nation is, is different than mine, is different than yours. But it's a beautiful question to consider, isn't it? Has anyone, has anyone considered what their inner nation is before that in these terms? What your inner nation is? Because that inner nation implies a lot governance systems ideology shared culture do you feel like you have a shared culture in and of yourself is that something you ever considered before this right not a nation but a world i agree i don't really fuck with the nation state but word if we're trying to build a nation as in build a word world yeah the expansive fullness of you the collective self is a really great way to put that right never thought about that term until today what i call my garden space exactly lynn some have been reading wow i'm flattered that is exactly what i call my garden space exactly beautiful she ends this out by saying i would write whether there's a publishing industry or not whether there are presses or not whether there are markets or not so this is a very interesting turn right because she's been asked right what is your responsibility to your audience what determines your responsibility to yourself and to your audience and she's kind of answered with my responsibilities to myself are exist regardless of whether there even is an audience i myself am my own audience are we tracking we are at war the truth is difficult but we got to tell it anyways we want to tell simple and usable truths fuck anglo-saxonizing yourself and you need to build your inner nation if you're if we're in the business of nation building in the first place the inner nation needs working well we tracking Yes, say yes or like the left. That's where we're paragraph three. We got technically one mega paragraph, but I'm gonna split it up into two because it's, it's long. I began writing, this is paragraph four, all right? I began writing in a serious way, though I can't recall a time when I wasn't jotting down stuff and trying to dramatize lessons learned when I got into teaching. I began writing in a serious way when I got into teaching. It was a way to keep track of myself, to monitor myself. I am a very seductive teacher, persuasive, infectious, overwhelming, irresistible. I worked very hard in the classroom to teach students to, criti to critique me constantly, to protect themselves from my nonsense. But let's face it, the teacher-student relationship we've been trained in is very colonial in nature. It's fraught with dangers, the power given to teachers over students' minds, students' spirits, students' bodies, students' development, my God. To rise above that, to insist 
of myself and of them that we refashion that relationship along progressive lines demanded a great deal of courage, imagination, energy, and will. Writing was a way to hear myself, to check myself. Writing was and is an act of discovery. I'm gonna stop there. This is technically one paragraph, but we're gonna, we're gonna put it in two, okay? First of all, I relate to this paragraph a lot, a latte. Because I am, I, I, there's a reason that I write about like the high, the hegemony of beauty, the hierarchies of beauty in the society, how we're more likely to find beautiful people, more trustworthy, more benevolent, more worthwhile. I am not naturally a good or like my face and voice. I've written about it. I scream from the rooftop about every other TikTok business quarter. And even still, I watch how effective, yes, exactly, Simone, capital B, beautiful. Someone been here. Exactly, Amy. Thank you. Thank God that my lessons are sticking. Because honestly, I feel like I'm throwing my brain at a brick wall and watching it splatter and nothing changes. Because the amount still that people are like, man, I just, I only watch your videos because you're gorgeous. I mean, thanks. But it scares me how easy it is to change the minds of the populace because I appear on camera. I said this in a different line, but I'm like, there's a reason I don't want to become a video essayist. It's because I'm very compelling on camera. It's because it's very easy to get you all to agree with whatever I say and whatever I feel because you're watching me say and feel it. There is something that reading does, which it creates like a distance between you and me. When you're not listening to my, my, my Taurus velvety tones into like a high quality microphone, okay? When you're not seeing my very pretty face emote and be so wrapped up in what I'm saying. I'm a prolific orator. I started public speaking when I was 14, okay? I'm not new to this. I'm very good at what I do. I'm very aware that I'm very good at what I do and that it's very easy to convince you all, a mass of people who have given me a lot of undue authority, quite frankly, to believe what I tell you to believe. You don't even, t you, you don't even check my sources. You take my word for it. That is a ludicrous amount of responsibility that I, did, that I really did not do a lot to receive. I did not earn this. I was an overnight sensation on TikTok. My first video ever went viral and I've been viral since. And lots of people co-signing me by ways of follows and shares of likes, lots of people saying, hey, I too find this legitimate, gave me a lot of undue authority that I did not do a lot of work to receive, quite frankly. Now, Agent Marie Brown said, trust the people and the people become trustworthy. My God, is that never, there? there is no truer case than for me because I was ready to scam y'all. I wanted to get on TikTok and become a skincare influencer and cash in on these good genetics and get a nice paycheck payout every time I promoted a product that I was going to use in my personal life anyways. I was so well set up to make a lot of money and to keep it moving. I did not want to come into political education. I did not wake up one day and want to do this. Okay? I was ready to scam you bitches. <laughs> Easily. And you would have given me your money. Easily. Like there would have been no cognitive. <laughs> None of it. And I honestly, I thought about like, oh, I could do political education while also doing my skincare and make a buck at the same time. And I could have. Most people would not have found anything wrong with that. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm going to buy the, the, the oil cleanser that Isma to recommended while talking about how uh, terrible fast fashion is. Are you fucking serious? It would have been so easy. But I did not. Because you all expected me to be benevolent. Because you all expected me to treat you kindly and give you my best. And because at the time I came on TikTok, maybe like mm, six, seven weeks after being here, Roe versus Wade got overturned and I watched a lot of a lot of panic and no sources. And I was like, okay, I can give a source. Like that's not hard. 
uh, fucking parody, it is a little hard because most people that are thought leaders in our current television scape, this is television, you're watching TV right now. Social media has entirely replaced television as we previously known it. This is the thing that is easy. It's the thing that gets in everybody's hands and it's the thing that is most affordable. You only need Wi-Fi. okay? Television is designed to make you feel things. And I am very good at imbuing my face and my body and my, my, my vocal performance my performance on camera with emotion. I know that because I go viral every time I express extreme emotion, happiness, sadness, anger, despondency, uh, encouragement, anytime, anytime that I uh, that I am at an emotional level six or above, I'm raking in over 500,000 views. You all are easy to exploit, quite frankly. And it's not your fault. It's not your fault. This medium, this medium makes it so up in the emotions of whoever's on screen that you take their word for it, that you consider them the protagonist. We see this watching Insecure right now. Don't bully me because I haven't seen all of Insecure yet. I'm taking my time on that one. But we constantly root for the protagonist, Issa, even when she's wrong, just for the fact that she's the main character and the, and the camera's on her the most. It should be a little alarming how quickly People were able to see me as a kind, trustworthy character when I did little to nothing to earn that, honestly. So the reason I started writing was to root myself in things that I found to be usable truths. The reason that I take reading seriously is to make sure that I am not asking hundreds of thousands of people to take my word for it. We should want better than that. Wait, Freddie, it's so good to see you. We should want better for that. Okay, we, sh we should want more. It is absolutely ludicrous that we have thought leaders that can walk around and not read a book for years and still be very effective. Absurd. Our standards are low. The reason I began writing in a serious way was when I got into teaching. I feel that in my bones. Tony K. Bambara said this before I was alive. This is an interview from 1983, okay? It was a way to keep track of myself, to monitor myself. This is her speaking about herself and I'm about to put it in my voice and you see how well it applies to me. I am a very seductive teacher, persuasive, infectious, overwhelming, irresistible. I worked hard in the classroom to teach students to critique me constantly, to protect themselves from my nonsense. And let's face it, the teacher-student relationship we've been trained in is very colonial in nature. You are trained to take my word for it. It is fraught with dangers. The power is given to teachers over students' minds, spirits, students' development, my God. To rise above that, to insist of myself and of them, that we refashion this relationship along progressive lines demanded a great deal of courage, imagination, energy, and will. Writing was a way to hear myself and to check myself. Writing was and is an act of discovery. That's paragraph four. I'm gonna stop right here. How many people have read or listened to The Case Against Sponsorships? That's an essay I wrote and it's actually one of the most important essays I've ever written. Information Anarchy, The Case Against Sponsorships. How many people actually went and listened to it? Cause it's, I understand that it's one of my more academic essays. I don't care. It's one of the most important essays I've ever written. The process of writing it radicalized me because even while I was writing it, I was like, am I sure that I want to publicly never commit to taking sponsorships? Because that means that I am giving up whatever livelihood I could possibly hope to have in a traditional sense from being on social media. That's a, that's a big commitment. And to call out the fact 
that advertising is just straight up brainwashing and that I, in selling my word, am selling you all down the river. That I am now positioned, even though I did nothing to earn that, that I am now positioned as a thought leader, as someone trustworthy, as someone that you all come to for sources of information, usable truths that might affect us in this world. For me to sell my opinion, for me to sell my word, is to sell you all. I would be selling you all. That is not the mentality that I came into uh, influencerdom with. First of all, I didn't mean to be influenced with first place. Secondly, I was very ready to sell you. I was very ready to sell you when I came into this space. It was because I saw how much agency I had over shaping collective knowledge, shaping culture, right? Uh, my first big engagement, like really, really big engagement with the, with the social internet came after six weeks of being online, maximum. And it was when I was talking about Malcolm X. And I found out in the process of researching and reading his biography like three times in two weeks and like just falling into an entire rabbit hole on him and his life and his history that he was <laughs> that he was engaged in queer sex work. And I, a queer sex worker, was quarantining from port uh, was quarantining from monkeypox at that time. And I got on the internet and yelled about this man, the things he made me feel, the misogyny he went through, the fact that he has a history of literally battering women. The fact literally, I went through all of this in real time. Let me tell you, I will never do no dumb shit like that ever again. Not because I regret anything that I said and not because I was wrong in hindsight. None of those things are true. And I haven't even made, I haven't made the video on uh, the long form video on Malcolm X's chapter in queer sex work because I like, I needed to meet people that knew him in real life before I would feel comfortable changing cultural knowledge like that. But let me tell you what, I was very new to the internet. I had been here for maybe five, six weeks. Did I know I was important? Did I know I was capable of changing collective culture? No. Why would I think that? I don't think that way about influence. I, I, I did not grow up on the social internet. I didn't grow up with social media. Watching someone random state their opinions is just a random person stating their opinions. It doesn't matter how much like they have, how many likes it has. That is a random person stating their opinion to me. So to find out that everybody else thinks I am important enough to get mad, to get angry, to have minds changed. I did not realize that I was capable of changing the minds and hearts of the masses. In fact, that's something I really didn't internalize until like a year after doing this. And by then, we were in real deep. I feel these words a lot. I have way too much authority in this space of teacher. Way too much. It is absurd, in fact. You should critique me constantly. And the reason that I get so upset about lackluster critique is because you're selling us both short. I'm not going to get better if people don't have the, the, the teeth necessary to call me out on some bullshit. To ask me to do better. To say, read that one again, I don't think you got it right. To say, I don't think you know enough to be able to speak on this well. To rise above that, are we, are we tracking thus far? Tony K. Lombara is answering the question. What determines your relationship, your responsibility to yourself and your audience? And one of the and one of the responsibilities that she states is, I have a responsibility to read and write to make sure that I can root myself in usable truths. Because let my mouth get going, I'm not trustworthy. She says, I cannot always be trusted with my mouth open. I exaggerate to the point of hysteria. I've got a penchant for flamboyant performance. Let me tell you, I know how to put on a show. 
I need to put pen to paper to make sure that what I know is true. Because when I sit down with notebooks, that's what she says, right? Paragraph three, when I sit down with the notebooks, I am absolutely serious about what I see, sense, and know, and I'm the same way. I may speak too fast. I might put a, a foot in my mouth. I might imply something I shouldn't with my mouth. I might exaggerate to the point of hysteria with my mouth. Once pens to paper, one, it, once it is ink to paper, that's it. Th that is that, that, that's the territory of I said what I fucking said. That's why I write essays, to give myself space between you and me so that you, without my pretty face and my beautiful speaking voice and my flamboyant nature and my persuasive, infectious, overwhelming, irresistible way of taking up space on your phone screen, you have the words on a page so that you can consider the way that my claims fit in your mouth. That is your responsibility to yourself. And that's the benefit of reading versus listening or watching. Not that you can't learn via watching, that you, can, that, that you can't learn via uh, audio. I love those versions of reading and they do. If you wanna consider someone critically, read it and look at their sources. Critically, take their voice out of it, take their face out of it, take the emotion that they are trying to take you on out of it, look at the words on a page. Allow yourself to be so bored that you start thinking that your own thoughts. Allow yourself to read it out loud in your mouth so you can see how it feels. Track it. The amount of people that call me a written word supremacist, that is trash critique. Trash. It's god awful. Do better. Are we tracking? There are critiques to be had. But that truly is just this fucking trash. <laughs> I don't learn anything from that. Foolish, right? Coolio, thank you. Alrighty, this is the final paragraph, ready? Let's do a quick recap. What are we reading? Tell me the title of this book. Title of the book, someone tell me. I ideally multiple someones. What's the title of this book? What are we reading? Come on. Come on. Nope. That's an interview from 1983, but that's not the title of the book. No. No. There we go. Conversations with Tony Cade Bambara. I'm certain that you meant Cade, the city of flights. But that's that's what it is. Conversations with Tony Cade Bambara. Tony Cade, something is not good enough. Nope. I want everybody to write that down. Conversations with Tony Cade Bambara. I stopped this live twice to tell you that title. I told you to remember it and you didn't. No apologies necessary. Uh, I told you all to remember it and you didn't. That's important. That's very fucking important. Conversations with Tony Cade Bombaro. It's a collection of interviews that has been put together, edited by Tabitha Lewis. Tab, sorry, Tabiti. Tabiti. Tabiti Lewis. Conversations with Tony K. Bambara. The reason I'm not emphasizing the editor of this is because I, because it's a collection of essays, the person that edited it is not necessarily the author. Does that make sense? Usually I am big on, you need to remember title and author, but the person that edited it did it in community with a lot of black women. I, uh, you know what I'm saying? So for this, for the, for this purposes, conversation with Tony K. Bambara, good. And when asked by Claudia Tate in an interview in 1983, what determines your responsibility to yourself and to your audience? What are some of the things that she said? What are some of the things that she said? 
Tell me. There is a couple that I asked you to just remember verbatim, as in word for word. Answer your comrades' questions. I start with the recognition that we are at war. Beautiful. I write to keep track of myself. Stunning. Tell the truth, right? Yes. Tell usable truths. Yes, 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 yes. What else? That there's an inner nation. Ooh, yes. Her responsibility towards herself. We're about building a nation. The inner nation needs building too. That literature is a potent tool. That literature is maybe not the primary instrument for social transformation, but I do think it has its potency. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. What else did she say? The, the role of the artist is to make revolution irresistible is something she did say, not in this particular interview, but that is a very famous quote that is attributed to her. She said that, yes. The stealing of other people's stories, right? Usable truths does not mean copy pasting people in your real life onto the page. That's emotional gangs. What kind of thuggery is that? That's what she says. Beautiful. What does she say about students and student teachers? Saxonization as in, it is radical in a society that defines beauty as blonde tresses flowing in the wind that stays centered. If you stay centered in the best of your own cultural tradition, that's sane, that's hip, that's perfectly fine, despite the claims to Anglo-Saxonize. Oh, your teacher. What the hell? Why am I being asked to verify my humanness during a literal lie? What the hell? Wild. Don't take her word for granted. I worked very hard in the classroom to teach students to critique me constantly to protect themselves from my nonsense. The power given over teachers' minds, or sorry, the power given to teachers over students' minds, students' spirits, students' development. My God. It's important to question teachers. It requires a great deal of courage, imagination, and will. Beautiful. This was a great recap. Everybody give yourself a round of applause. That was stunning. Good job. Way to remember things. I want you to remember these things once I am no longer singing and dancing and tap dancing on your screen to get you to pay attention to me, okay? When there's no one in shiny dangly earrings with cute eye makeup singing and dancing at you to get you to learn something, I want you to remember these things. Coolio, are we tracking? Those of us that have been here, those of us that have been here, any questions thus far? Can I finish this out? We're tracking? Say yes or like the live. It's 300 people in here. I'm away. I'm gonna do yes. Round table yeses. That was four pair, well, yeah, three, three and a half. Three and a half paragraphs. This last paragraph is long, so I split it into two, but it's one paragraph. This is four paragraphs to answer one question well. You see what long form thought gets you? We've been here for a while. You see what you get when you pay attention to one thing for a long time? You learn so much. Imagine me trying to do this amount of rigor to learn this much in, I, in a three minute video. And about 60% of people only watch 12 seconds of a three minute video and they move the fuck on. You see how much I don't like short form content? Beautiful. Alrighty. It sounds like we're good. Are we ready? Mm. I frequently discovered this is that last paragraph. This is paragraph four, this, the back half. I frequently discovered that I was a dangerous, that I was dangerous. Sorry, I'm gonna start that over. 
I frequently discovered that I was dangerous, a mentally unfit to move the students and myself into certain waters. I would have to go into the classroom and beat them up for not taking me to the wall, for succumbing to mere charm and flash when they should have been challenging me, kicking my ass. I will be eternally grateful to all those students at City College and Livingston Rutgers, remember she's from New York, for caring, for the caring in the courageous way. They helped me develop as a teacher, a person, a writer, and a mother too. Fortunately, for all concerned, my daughter, a 99-year-old wise woman who travels under the guise of a young, thumb-sucking kid, knows when to walk away from me, when to close her ears, turning my rantings into a joke, call me on a contradiction. But even after she's grown, and even if I never teach again, I will still use writing as a way to stay on center, for I will still be somebody's neighbor, somebody's friend, and I'll still be a member of our community under siege or in power. I'll still need to have the discipline writing affords demands. I don't wish to be useless or dangerous, so I will write. And two, hell, I'm a writer. I am compelled to write. I love this lady. I miss her and I never met her. I miss her and she died before I was born. I miss her. I don't wish to be useless or dangerous, so I'll write. That's a maxim I memorized from this one too. I do not wish to be useless or dangerous, so I will write. If you resonate with that one, write that down. I understand that's not everybody. I understand that's not everybody, but that's me. So I'm gonna write it down. I can put that in the chat, right? Comment, yeah, I'm gonna put that in the chat. I don't to be useless or dangerous. So I'll write. God almighty. I love this lady. What does this last paragraph say? What does this last paragraph say? What, what, like, what's the, if we could chalk it down to like a pithy thesis, something that'll fit in the comment section of a live. What is this, this back half to this last paragraph? What does it say? She learned so much from her students critiquing her. Yeah. She said, I want to be held accountable. Yeah. She said, writing is where she goes to be honest. Yes, yes, yes. She said, check your teachers. She said, we need to have a purpose. She said, ooh, putting the revolution, legacy of revolution on paper. Ah, I don't know if that's what it says, but I don't think that that's something she would disagree with. Writing cuts the nonsense. Dreamy babe, I think that that's absolutely something she said here. Right? right i'll still need to have the discipline writing affords and demands right even after she is grown she here being her child her daughter even after she's grown even if i never teach again i will still use writing to as a way to stay on center for i'll still be someone's neighbor oh wait let's zoom in here i need writing to stay on center not just for teaching purposes i might never teach again 
not just to parent well, my kid's gonna be grown one day. And she says nothing about the big, heady idea. And we'll be in power under truth or in power or sorry under siege but under truth is accurate as well under siege or in power I'll still need to have the discipline writing affords and demands I don't wish to be useless I don't want to be dangerous so I will write and to hell I'm a writer I am compelled to write I have that one circled I am compelled to write I know you can't see this backwards but my my God, I love this lady. When I am fed up with being on the internet, when I am fed up with the fact that I woke up one day and was a public educator, despite the fact that I never wanted this for myself. No, wait, I, I just, I don't know many people that like desire to teach. <laughs> this profession gripped me by the back of my neck and dragged me in kicking and screaming. I did not necessarily want to be in this space. Here I am. But when I am fed the fuck up, I open this book like a holy text and I memorize things that I'm going to need to take within me and to hell I'm I am compelled to write thank you God I'm so happy that I know that Tony Tony K. Bambara exists and I'm happy that you all know that Tony K. Bambara exists as well there are many incredible incredible i don't even want to say incredible because that implies like a i can't believe it and i can't i can't believe it <laughs> most of the 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 transcendent timeless genius that touches me throughout eons and decades is from the hands and hearts of black women so i can believe it i find it in fact very credible but i'm saying that there's more than just tony morrison in terms of the pantheon of black women artists writers, scholars, activists, historians. There's more than just Toni Morrison. And she was friends with a lot of them. Toni, Toni Morrison did not ask to be the Beyonce of her generation. And it's something that we call the Beyonce effect, but it happened way before her, where if there's, a, if there's greatness and blackness, the white academy chooses exactly one to exalt above everybody else. And that's never how that happened. They were always in community with one another. And the fact that they were in community with one another made each other better. They knew each other. They didn't rush together. They were in collectives with one another. And in and, and community with herself too. Word, Jacqueline, that's very good. All right, that's all I got. Thank you so much for coming, this is fun. I'm happy to have recorded this on a separate medium because live you're playing with me. So, uh, oh yeah, that's an hour, an hour 10. I'm gonna wrap this shit up. I do need to, to shower and get myself ready for bed. Um, but thank you for being here. This is very fun. Thank you for all of your engagement. It's fun to learn in community. Live is one of the only places that I can come and like learn in real time. I really fucking appreciate it. I'll give you a second to answer each other's questions because we got people asking what, what book it is. And if you've been here, especially for the full hour, I want you to see how much I get the exact same question. And this is just from 300 people. Not that there's anything wrong with asking questions. Absolutely ask your questions, but I cannot possibly be expected to answer the same question 
15 times in an hour. Hard no. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping your comrades. I need you to imagine this then on a scale of like a video of 300,000, the amount of times I get the exact same question. God almighty, if I get one more comment saying, there are accounts pretending to be you. I'm actually, I like, I literally can't look at the comments anymore. I don't, I'm tired. <laughs> I encourage you as usual to do your own research and to make sure that you are able to, to support yourself uh in in continuing the work there's a discord that's linked on my Substack, um and the Substack is always linked in bio literally always it baffles me that i still get this question i'm a veteran oh god it's only been two years not i look like what i've been through that's terrible all right this is very fun and also thank you for all of your likes and your engagement because the algorithm hates a bitch uh, since I started uh, TikTok, uh, no, not since I started TikTok, because when they, I wanted to be a skincare influencer, views came easy. It was not difficult. Specifically, when I started um, uh, political education, that's when they were like, eh, wrong answer. So I appreciate this. A recording of the live, should I choose to post it, will be on Patreon. I often don't post lives because it's fun for me to exist in temporary space. I don't always want to be replayable. Sometimes I just want to do thing once and just have it be like if you were you if you were there you were there. Most of the time I don't save my lives because if you were there you were there, and now it's special. Isn't that fun? Has anyone been here for other lives? Isn't that fun? And then it encourages you to actually like write shit down. Cause if I record it and I'd be like oh yeah all the notes are recording, are you gonna write it down? No. Are are you going are you gonna go? tap dance to make sure that you can remember this yeah makes it special it i just i feel like it's okay to exist in internet space for a little while and then leave i think that that's fine <laughs> yeah like you pay attention in a special way it requires if you don't write it down if you don't write this information down poof there it goes and i i i like that Alrighty, that's all i got for tonight Thank you so much. Asitos, have a good evening. Um, I may or may not post this. We'll fucking see. Goodbye.